This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Middle of page 82 is explaining why is it that Rabbis say that the, this world is created with a letter Hey. After having explained at great length why the Elam Haba, the world to come, is created with the letter Yud, this world is created with the letter Hey. And he explained because Hey is the Ha, the, uh, the, the voice, the sound that comes from the heart, which is the source of all the letters. But then he asked the question, the rabbi is actually referring to the higher letter Hey which is not the lower level hey, but the higher level hey refers to bina, understanding. And he explained, because that is the source of the lower level hey. The two hey's are parallel to each other. It's called the cave of Machpelah, the cave, the double cave. Hey is a double letter. Hey is spelled out, hey, hey. Hey, together with the sound hey is hey, hey, two hey's. You have the primary letter, and then you have the secondary letter, the higher level of A, which leads to the lower level of A. The higher level of A represents logic, understanding, analytical ability of the soul. And that's why the letter A is, has a length, it has a width, it has a height, it's a fully formed letter, versus the Yud, which is a dot, because the Yud represents the Chachma, the wisdom subconscious, the uh, Eureka, the creative movement, which is really beyond words, beyond letters. But the letter He represents the analytical, which is really the beginning of words, because in the creative spark, there really are no words. A person who's very creative is not necessarily very verbal. It's more like an instinct, a, a sense, a feeling, versus... The analytical person is very verbal, very logical, can explain everything and the source of everything. And that's where really the world of letters and words really emerge, really begin. So the source of the lower level of hay, which is the voice, the breath, that produces the sound, that produces all the other letters, the source of that is really the higher level of hay. Because that's where the letters and words begin to be formulated. Versus in the letter Yud, it's more of an instinct, more of a feeling. That's where we left off last week. The third, in the middle of page 82, from there issues the breath, from the heart. So he says, because the Bina, the heart, the mind, the analytical understanding is the mother that gives birth to emotions. Emotions is where the heat and the warmth, which gives birth to words and letters. You think and speak about things you care about. So it's the breath comes from the heat of the heart. And then it goes through the lungs and it formulates all the different letters, all the different words. But what's the source of the heart? The source of the heart is the analytical mind, which is a higher level hey. That's why the rabbis say the yud ke nivra elam, the higher level of hey, comes is this world. Because the root of this world which is really the lower level of hay, but the ultimate root is the higher level of hay. That's where we left off. Now he continues. From there issues the breath, the original manifestation of the body of the letters of speech, which become revealed from the concealment of the yud through the five organs of speech. The shape of the lower hay, which in its written form also has dimensions of length and width indicates the extension of Hashem's blessed sovereignty, the sovereignty of all worlds, which extends upward and downward and in the four directions. All these directions extending and issuing from the letters of the word 
of Hashem, as written in Koalet, the king's utterance reigns as explained elsewhere. Just as a king of flesh and blood rules through his faculty of speech by issuing commands, so too does the supernal speech of extend Hashem's reign in all the dimensions of the created universe. The shape of the letter He, so the higher level of He, the shape represents the analytical ability to bina, to build a whole edifice, to build a whole structure, because the seminal wisdom is unstructured, it's, it's a flash, it's a point, it's a vague sense, it's an instinct, it's a feeling, more of a feel. But Bina is where you build, you engineer, you create a firm, solid <clears throat> building, which has a beginning, and has a middle, and has an end, has a definition, a shape, precise engineering, a logic. One point leads to the next point, which leads to the next point, is a logical structure. That's what the letter, letter He represents, the higher level He. What does the lower level He represent? The lower level He represents the idea of actually speaking. The lower level He is a level of actually speaking. Like the king who rules through his speech. The king says and things happen. The king has an army, the king commands his subjects and they obey his instructions, they follow his instructions. The king just has to say and speak and communicate. So it's the actual speech, the physical speech. There's the voice and there's a speech. When you want to communicate and you want to communicate, convey to others, you have to physically speak. And that physical speech generates and creates a whole structure, a whole universe. The king speaks and he has a whole kingdom as a result of his speech and his communication builds a whole kingdom represented in the letter He is a whole whole structure so too Hashem speaks and Hashem creates a universe the difference is when we speak or the king speaks the audience already exists here Hashem creates an audience through his speech so through his speech he actually creates the whole universe and this universe has length and has breadth and has four sides and has a top and a bottom this time and space this is all represented by the letter He. Was the words spread out and create a whole, a whole universe. So this is the lower level He. And that's why he says that this world is created with the letter He. Now what does it mean Hashem speaks? Hashem doesn't have a mouth. Hashem doesn't physically speak. We're not talking about anything that's physical, not to envision that a God has a mouth and he's speaking. So he says to understand what it means, the idea, the concept of speech and letters, even though Hashem has no form, this was explained at great length in the second part of the Tanya, chapters 11 and 12, which you can listen to on lessonsintanya.com. And there, the Rebbe explains that on one hand, everything is united with Hashem. Hashem's, Hashem is united with His intellect. Hashem is united, united with His knowledge. Hashem is inseparable from His emotions. And Hashem is also inseparable from His speech. When we say Hashem speaks, Hashem is speaking. It's His speech. It's not, God forbid, there's Hashem and there's speech. All there is is Hashem. But Hashem speaks. But Hashem's speech has the ability to create something from nothing. Only Hashem has the ability to create something from nothing. Speech is not separated from Hashem. It's Hashem's speech. It's so unified within Hashem, inseparable within Hashem. And that's why it has the ability to create something from nothing. So on one hand, it's completely unified within Hashem. On the other hand, Hashem separated from within Himself, emanated from within Himself, the ten spherot. Hashem's mind, so to speak, Hashem's emotion, so to speak, and then ultimately Hashem's words, wor- words and letters, so to speak. Because, and the analogy is like a human being. Just like a human being, there's a whole process. First you start with understanding something, a concept to, for yourself. Then you develop to an emotion, to a feeling. How you feel about others. Then it develops into, into thought. 
you think to yourself, and then it develops into, into speech. You speak to others. So speech is where your connection to others really begins. Because up until the point of speech, everything is internal. Your, un- your own understanding, your own feelings. Yes, your own feelings in relations to others, but it's your feelings. It's, it characterizes you, your emotions, your, whether you're attracted, whether you're repulsed, you like, you dislike. That's all your feelings. And then even thought. Thought is you're thinking to yourself. It's with speech that you begin connecting with another person. Speech is when you begin to get outside of your own skin and you talk to someone else. There's someone else you're talking to. There's someone else that's here, that's present, and that you're connecting with and you're relating with and you have a relationship with and you're talking with them and communicating with them. So too, this is a parable to help us understand. The Torah speaks and uses the language of man to help us understand that Hashem, so to speak, recreated the same process within Himself. He emanated from within Himself His divine intellect. Then the divine intellect leads to the divine emotions. Hashem loves, Hashem has compassion, Hashem hates evil. And then comes, so to speak, Hashem's thought, and then comes Hashem's speech, Hashem speaks. And speech is where Hashem creates us, creates the audience, creates something outside of Himself, through Hashem's speech, through His words and letters. So this is the idea, the parable, when we say Hashem's speech. But nevertheless, it's, not, it's different than our speech. When we speak, our speech is disconnected from us. Our speech is when you speak it, the words leave you you have a life of its own there's no taking it back but when Hashem speaks Hashem's speech remains absolutely unified within Hashem absolutely connected and unified within the absolute unity of Hashem and that's why Hashem's speech have the power to create it's divine it's godly it's nothing other than Hashem Hashem's emotions, Hashem's intellect, Hashem's speech, Hashem's thoughts, it's Hashem himself. But, on the other hand, it's through Hashem's speech that Hashem creates a world which feels disconnected, separate, independent from Hashem. But it's the divine creative energy that only Hashem could create something from nothing. And yet He creates something that feels like a something. It feels like we're separated from Hashem. This is the paradox of when we talk about Hashem's speech. So that's why he says that when we talk about Hashem's speech, it's not like human speech. Human speech is dead. Words and letters are dead, inert. They're like the stones. They're a vehicle, a transportation, a vessel to contain whatever you put inside of it. The words themselves are interchangeable. Words are very external, very superficial. But the divine speech is not inert, it's not dead. Divine speech is divine energy that creates everything. That's life. It has the ability to create something from nothing. It's Hashem Himself, really. It is inseparable from Hashem. Even though we can't wrap our minds around it, we can't understand it, comprehend how is it possible for Hashem to be absolutely unified with His knowledge and His awareness and His feelings and His thought and His speech. But that's faith. Even Hashem's speech is part of the ten svirot. It's the lowest of the ten svirot. It's the last of the ten svirot. It's the svirot of malchus, of royalty. But nevertheless, it is part of the ten svirot, the world of emanation, which is absolutely unified within Hashem. So it is divine and godly. And that's why Hashem's speech creates all of the worlds including the souls and the angels, which have brilliance and wisdom. So the source of the souls and the angels obviously are greater than the souls of the angels. So the Hashem, divine energy, divine words and letters are not inert stones, dead, God forbid. It's so infinite that this is the source of all the brilliance in this universe. And all the life in this universe. And wisdom. 
And not only Hashem's speech, even Hashem's breath, so to speak. The breath, which is the source of man's soul, which is even greater than the soul of an angel. And the soul that has so much brilliance and wisdom. And it all comes from the breath, which is even more external than the speech. Just the breath, which is the source, which is where speech comes from. The ha. And look how much wisdom and infinite light and wisdom it contains. Because it's divine speech. It's unified with Hashem. It's only considered speech in relation to us. In relation to the effect that the speech has. In relation to us, we call it speech. Like the analogy of the light that you put through the prism. So we, on the other side of the prism, we see a yellow light, a red light, a green light. Of course, the light itself is colorless. But when the light goes through the prism, that's the effect. So the light remains unchanged. The light is, is unified with the source of light. The light has not changed. The light is not yellow, and the light is not red, and the light is not green, and the light is not purple. The light is light. It hasn't changed. It remains unchanged. But the effect of the light, from our point of view, the effect of the light is we see a green light and a yellow light. So the divine speech in relationship to itself, its own connection to Hashem remains unchanged and unaffected. It's absolutely unified within the absolute unity of Hashem. It's divine, it's godly, it's infinite. From Hashem's point of view, you can hardly even call it speech. But from our perspective, the power of the speech, the effect of the speech is that it creates a world that's separate, that feels separate and independent, disconnected. Hashem creates an audience that's outside of himself. That's the analogy of speech. Just like speech within a human being is the lowest level of human being. And speech is the passage between us and the other person, the connection between us and the other person. So too, with Hashem's ability, divine ability to create something from nothing, to create something that feels like something, that feels separate and disconnected. So we who are on the receiving end, we who receive, so we make all these differentiations. We can talk about God's wisdom and God's awareness and God's knowledge and God's love and God's mercy and God's compassion and God's anger and God's speech. And God's the breath of God. Hashem it's all absolutely one all there is is Hashem there's nothing else there's all these differentiations are no differentiation Hashem is only one but Hashem the effect of these ten svirot is from our point of view the effect is what we see is the divine will and wisdom and knowledge and awareness and love and compassion and strength and all the emotional attributes which ultimately is expressed in the divine speech and letters and words and the breath that creates the speech and all of that creates us the soul of man, the soul of angels the, un- the whole universe as we know it the physical universe up till the physical material universe so this is the idea of divine letters divine words and to really understand it properly not God forbid to visualize that God has a mouth and God is speaking that is idolatry God has no form and God has no shape it's just an analogy to help us understand the concept of speech the Torah speaks in the language of man so the Alter Rebbe refers to he says refers to back to the second part of the Tanya chapters 11 and 12, and he says, please take a look there and you'll understand what it means when we talk of God's speech. As for understanding somewhat the concept of nature and nature and letters of speech in relation to divinity, inasmuch as Hashem has no form of a body nor of a soul, heaven forbid, this has already been explained comprehensively yet concisely in the Kute Amaram part 2, chapters 11 and 12. See there. He explained why the rabbis say that uh, this world was created with hay, although this is referring to the lower hay, while the rabbi is actually referring to the higher level of hay, so that he just finished explaining. The question is, why does he say 
the letter hey with one letter and of all the letters the letter hey the world was created with the ten utterances which contains all 22 letters so this world was created not with one letter in general, how do you reconcile? Here the rabbis say, and they bring the verse that the whole universe is created with two letters. The letter Yud and the letter Hey. The world to come, the Garden of Eden is created with the letter Yud. And this world is created with the letter Hey. On the other hand, the Torah says that God created the world with ten utterances, which include all 22 letters. Was it created with one letter? Was it created with 22 letters? And with the letter Hey, letter Hey includes all of the worlds, not just the material world. It includes the spiritual world as well, including the world of angels. Because he explained the letter Yud is referring to Elam Haba. Elam Haba means Ganeden, which in the spiritual worlds itself is the highest level. But the spiritual worlds themselves was all created with the letter Hey. So then, how do we differentiate why is it that the physical world is so dense and materialistic and so disconnected from anything spiritual? While from the same letter Hey, the letter Hey produces all the higher level worlds and the souls and angels which are spiritually into, which are not dense, are not disconnected, are much more connected. If you said that the letter hey is the external, the lower level hey, the lower letter hey, and it's all about the actual words and the physical words and the actual voice and the breath. So how is it from the same letter hey you have worlds that are receptive, that are open to godliness, that are more spiritual, more in tune, more sensitive, and you have this physical material coarse, dense, dark world which is completely disconnected, completely. That's what he's going to explain in the next piece. We now come to an exposition of why our sages of blessed memory said that specifically this world was created by the hay. According to the explanation provided above, not only this physical world, but all of creation resulted from the letter hay, i.e. from the sphere of Malchut, as expressed in divine speech. And also the other question is, not just one letter, it's 22 letters, all 10 utterances. Malchus is divine speech, which includes all 10 utterances, which includes all 22 letters. So is it with one letter, or is it with 22 letters? The Alter Rebbe resolves this apparent anomaly by explaining that it is indeed true that all creation derives from the infinite variety of permutations and combinations of the letters which constitute divine speech. Nevertheless, the loftier and more spiritual created beings derive from the internal aspect of divine speech, which stems from Chachma, and they therefore have an intellectual perception of godliness. Physical creation, by contrast, is of too lowly a level to be able to receive a divine light and energy from the soul, i.e. the internal aspect of the letters of Hashem's creative speech. It merely receives this from the body, i.e. the external aspect of these letters. The creation of physicality resembles the breath emanating from the heart that forms the physical voice. Above, in like manner, the physical world is formed from supernal breath, the body of the letters. Hence our sages teach that this world was created by the letter He, for this letter denotes the divine breath as explained above. It is this that the author Rebbe now goes on to say. The point is, the idea of speech is really a paradox. we discussed in the beginning of the class, the beginning of this letter. On one hand, the idea of speech is completely superficial and external to the person. A person could live without speech. If you went through your whole life not speaking, besides making many people happy, what would... Uh, what, <laughs> what, what, difference, what difference does it change your life? Are you different? Do you need speech? You have a mind, you have a heart, you can think. 
You can function. You can be completely self-sufficient. You can be Robinson Crusoe, live alone on the island, and be completely self-sufficient. Maybe even happy. (laughs) (laughs) Why the maybe? (laughs) It's not like speech is a part of you. A person who doesn't have emotions is defective. Something wrong with you. Something missing. A person is all brains, a Dr. Spock, and has no heart. Is missing out on life. Is missing a major part of life. A major part of you is missing. You have no emotions. You have no feelings. You have no. You don't hate. You don't love. You don't. There's something wrong with that person. The person is, is heartless. Is missing a major part of his personality, his character. But if a person doesn't speak, what exactly are you missing? There's some uh, religious orders that they take a vow of silence. They speak, they don't speak. Not Jewish. Take a vow of silence. What would happen if you don't speak? It's like you're missing a pinky, you're missing a finger. If you're defective in your emotions, like missing a finger, missing a pinky, a part of you is missing. But you can be completely self-sufficient without speech. You can go through your entire life and you won't speak. Speech is completely external and superficial. That's why we can speak and speak and speak. We have an infinite amount of words. It's not like we have a certain amount of letters and words in our soul and you use up every time you speak you're making a withdrawal and you're using up the, sp- the words that you have it's like, not like an ATM machine you're taking out and you, every time you make a withdrawal even Bill Gates if he takes a dollar out of his bank account you won't notice it but he took a dollar out of his bank account it's a drop in the ocean but he depleted his bank account he not depleted he took something out something is missing but here you can speak and speak and speak and you can go on forever it's only because a person dies that you you stop speaking. Because speech is completely external and superficial to us. It doesn't take away. It's not like giving a piece of yourself. And therefore, I can only give a, a, a small amount of myself. I, I, speech is completely external and superficial to the person. That's on the surface. That's on one hand. And it's this aspect of speech which creates our world the physical, the material world. What our world got is the most superficial, external part of speech. That is, that speech is completely external and superficial. And completely conceals the person who's speaking. On one hand, speech could be very revealing. On one hand, speech could be very concealing. Most speech is completely concealed. Politicians talk all the time and completely everything is concealed. You have no idea what's really going on. <laughs> You're more confused after they spoke than before they spoke. People speak and speak and have no idea what's really going on inside. You know how they really feel inside, what's really going on, what they're really thinking. Cool. But they just gave you a whole speech and have no idea what's going on. Speech is very... You can hide behind your speech. Speech is very superficial, very external. People say one thing and mean another thing and do a third thing. You know, they say... They used to joke in the synagogue. Someone raises his hand. He makes a public pledge. He says he pledges 500. He means three, 400. He, he only has 300. And you're lucky if you get 100. <laughs> it's like, it's like two, four different worlds. Speech is external. Speech completely conceals and hides. On the other hand, speech could be most revealing. Someone says, will you marry me? That, that speech is very revealing and very powerful. It doesn't get more powerful than that. It's the most intimate speech. That's a speech you'll never forget the rest of your life, even in your old age. That's a speech that will stay with you forever, change you and transform you and elevate you. Speech is the deepest, the most intimate, the most powerful. It's the ultimate human drive. Speech, communication, relationships, connections. It's underneath everything. 
You can't live alone. Torah says right in the beginning, man is not meant to live alone. You need a relationship. You need to be validated by someone outside of you. You need someone else. You can't marry yourself. You have to marry. Even if you're God, you need someone else to marry you and to want to live with you and to give you their unconditional love. And vice versa, you give it to them. So speech really is the deepest, is an expression of the deepest part within the person. That's why man is called medaber. Torah doesn't call man rational, but medaber, the ability to speak, because it's not just the ability to speak, it's the need to speak. It really expresses the most the godly aspect of our soul. The fact that we're not self-sufficient. The fact that we are we have the ability to become vulnerable. We have the ability to open ourselves up. We have the ability to get outside of our skin, to get outside of ourselves, and to become a half, and to really become whole, only be completed by another person. This is, the, this is divine. This means that we're not limited. We're not rigid. We're not limited and finite. This is an expression of the infinite. The ability to get out of ourselves. This is a divine ability. Animals don't have that ability. Animals bond. But that's animal bonding. That's not marriage. Marriage is not animalistic bonding of two bodies grinding together. Marriage between man and woman is divine. It's soul. It's a touch of the infinite, a touch of the divine. It's the ability to step outside of yourself and to become one another person. This is the ultimate divine ability. So on one hand, speech is completely external and superficial. On the other hand, it's the deepest. Touches the divine. It's like malchut. Malchut, royalty, is the lowest of the ten spheres. It's the final, the end. On the other hand, we call it keter malchut. It's the crown. The king wears the crown. The crown is above the head. It even supersedes the head, which is the beginning of the tenth sphere, which is wisdom. And because communication runs much deeper than even the head. The deepest part of the head. The greatest. Whatever is going on inside of you. It's only when you're able to step outside of yourself. You tap into the divine. You tap into the end. So it's like a paradox. What is it? On one hand, speech is very external, superficial. And the way speech is used most of the time is only deepens that superficiality and that external. Just to prove how external and superficial people in life are, the speech just confirms it. And most of the speech only adds to that superficiality and that cover-up and that ego and that but on the other hand, what's the inner dynamic of speech? The inner dynamic of speech, it's, it's divine. And that's why there are words, if we're lucky, there are words that sear into our soul, that touch us, that inspire us, that we can soar to heaven. Words of poetry, words that stir our soul, words that move us to the core. Will you marry me? There are certain words that just, just will touch you in the deepest place. So it seems like a contradiction. What is it? A words completely superficial or words very deep? And not only isn't it a contradiction, but they go hand in hand. Why are words so divine and so godly and so wondrous and so touching the infinite? Precisely because it's so external. Because the ability to, to step outside of yourself and to get into someone else's mind and to speak and to communicate with them and to connect with them and to be able to convey something to them and to hit home with them. To see reality from someone else's point of view and to see yourself from someone else's point of view and to be affirmed by someone outside of you to become external, to, to step outside of yourself to someone else, that's the ultimate flexibility. That's the ultimate expression of egolessness. Ultimate expression of totally putting yourself in a side. It's even more egoless than the creative ability, which is also a tremendous egolessness, level of egolessness. To be able to put yourself aside and to be open to creative ideas, to your subconscious. But the highest level of egolessness is 
to completely forget about yourself and to focus on the other person. Focus on the customer, focus on the spouse, focus on the other person. That flexibility comes from the deepest place. So not only is it that a contradiction they go hand in hand, what appears to be external is really a symptom of the ultimate level of flexibility. To step outside of yourself and put yourself in someone else's shoes. And that's the difference between the same letter hey, why the same letter hey creates all the spiritual world and the angels and the souls so filled with ruach, with spirit and soul and wisdom and connection and spirituality and, and this dark, material, physical mess, this world, which is such a mess and so egotistical. Dark and dense. Clueless. Cover up. From the same letter, hey. You know why? Because the higher level, the worlds receive their sustenance from the soul of the hay. The inner meaning of the hay. The inner meaning of words and letters and where it all comes from. How it's the ultimate expression, like he said, from the subconscious. It's the ultimate expression of something godly and divine. While we in this world are left with the we only get the tip of the iceberg, the superficial part, the breath itself, the physical form of the letters. So it's like we look at the words, we look at the letters, and we see nothing, we understand nothing. To us, it's like reading Chinese. We see the shape, we see the form, we see the letter, and we are clueless. We have no idea what these words and letters mean, what they say, what they convey, the content of the words. All we see are the shape and the form of the letters. So all we get is the externality of speech. The sense of separation. The sense of ego. The sense of being something. The cover-up. Not the inner, not the soul, not the connection, not the real dynamic of speech. What's really going on. And that's why the higher worlds are connected. They're aware of Hashem. They're connected with Hashem. They, and we are like, Huh? What? When? Where? We feel no connection. If anything, we feel completely disconnected. Because we just get the body. We just get the physical, the external, the most superficial. And really miss the whole point. We miss the whole story. We miss the whole, what it's all about. And as a result, we get this physical world. Material world. This dense world which is completely disconnected from Hashem, which is not sensitive and not fine-tuned and not even tuned in to the channel of spirituality and holiness and godliness and purity. We're tuned in very well to ego and arrogance and self-centeredness and self-absorption. All that exists is me, myself, and I. I can't even imagine anything besides me, myself, and I. And that's the result of the letter Hey. We are the product of the letter hey, the ha, the breath, the, the, almost the voice, just the sound, the physical, the most external and superficial aspect of the words and letters. Versus the higher worlds, although they also come from the letter hey, which is the source of the 22 letters, because it's the breath from which emanates all the words and letters. But they are tuned in with the content not the, the fact that speech is so external and superficial, but the fact that speech is rooted in the divine. So therefore, they're all connected. There are many different levels he's going to explain. Infinite amount of levels. But all of them have one thing in common. From the lowest angel, there are ten level of angels. The lowest level of an angel. And even the stars and the sun and the moon, according to Maimonides, has a soul. Like a, a lower level than an angel. But they're all aware of Hashem. And they all worship Hashem. They're all connected with Hashem. Versus we in this world are completely disconnected. We have no sense, no feeling, no, no sense. No knowledge, no awareness, no feeling of connection. The knowledge that we have is all abstract. It's intellectual knowledge. It's abstraction. We struggle with it. We try to understand Hashem what it all means, how we relate to it. We can't really relate to it. It's hard for us to relate to it, to connect with it. It's so far and it's so far, far from us. What we relate to and we connect with very well is the material, 
the ego here what's here and now but that's the result of the letter hey that's the result of the external level of the, of the letters so that explains how the same letter could result in such two opposite worlds this world and everything else with all the infinite myriads of levels but nevertheless they all share in common they're all spiritual Versus this world is the exact opposite of spirituality, the antithesis of spirituality, the antithesis of godliness and holiness and goodness. This world is all about ego and arrogance and I and nonsense and marishkeit. How could it all come from the same letter? That's what Alter Rebbe is going to explain now. How is it possible that from the same letter they get these two opposite results? Two different worlds. And all from the same event he says because we come from the external the body of a letter versus everyone else the higher world receive from the soul of the letter the inner dynamic of what's really going on with speech and where speech is really rooted in and what's really all about this is known to all the wise of heart concerning the multitude of worlds and color places or chambers which are innumerable, as it is written with reference to these countless worlds and mm-hmm. Do its regiments have a number? Each echal and regiment comprises a finite but prodigious number of angels as it is written. A thousand, thousand serve him and myriads of myriads stand before him. It seems like a contradiction. The rabbis in the Talmud ask, here it says there are no number, there's no number this infinite amount of, is there a number to his regiments of angels? On the other hand, the Torah gives a number. Elsewhere in the prophets, he gives a number, a huge number, a thousand, thousand, ten thousand, um, ten thousand times ten thousand, which is a huge number of angels, but it's a finite amount of angels. So what is it? The Talmud says, is there, is there a number? Isn't there a number? And the rabbis say that there is no number to the amount of regiments. There is a number within each regiment. Each regiment has this fantastical amount of angels within each regiment. But how many different regiments of angels to that? There is no number. So each regiment is different than the other regiment. Each angel within the regiment is different than the other angel. We're talking about separate entities. So you have this infinite variety of uh, creation. And it's not only in the spiritual world. The truth is even in this world. You have almost infinite variety of organic life, amount of plants, and even within each family of plants, so so much variety, and even in gems and stones, all different types. It's dazzling the amount you find within each, and then animals and so many species, and within each species itself, there's so many subspecies. And look, we all come from Adam Achava and the seven billion people. Not two people look alike, not two people think alike, not people have the same fingerprints. And, there's such variety in this world. You know, you go to the store, and how many, even in some foolish things, how many bags of potato chip you have. One little thing, and there may be hundreds of varieties, and everything you go, spices, so many varieties. And Hashem created this, this almost infinite kaleidoscope of variety and differentiation and differences and tastes, and each one has their own taste, and and within each person itself, there's some, such a huge variety and such a huge, you know, flavors and dynamics. And that's what he says now. He continues and says, even within each soul, not only is every human being different, but every human being's soul is made up of five different levels. Nefesh, Ruach, Nesham, Chai, Yechida. So you have variety within variety. If so many different differentiations and different levels. Each one of us is made up of a hundred trillion cells hundred trillion different cells than no two cells that look alike no two snowflakes that are alike there's such a huge infinite almost infinite variety that Hashem created in this world and likewise likewise like the above hechalot and regiments are the levels of souls belonging to the five general categories of nefesh ruach nishama chaya and yachida and runs to no end for each of these five categories branches out into levels of an inexhaustible number. 
And so too, there are numberless levels in all the worlds in Echalot. From among the multitudes of Echalot that exist in the world of Atzilut, Beriah, and Yetzirah. The three above-mentioned worlds are higher than the worlds of Asiyah, the world of action, which includes both the spiritual and physical worlds of Asiyah. All these hosts of created beings then one multitude beyond another and all issue and flow from the combination of the 22 letters of the Word of God. So he's saying that although although the source of everything that exists is from the 22 letters and 22 sounds of the Hebrew alphabet, of the alphabet, which are the same sounds in any language, whether you call it a B or you call it a Bez, it's basically the same sound. So, all of these sounds all come from 22 letters. How is it possible? And this is the wonder how such infinite variety could come from just 22 sounds. 22 letters, and look at the millions and millions amounts of books and wisdom that come from these 22 letters. There are eight musical notes, and look at the infinite variety of music and types of music and all from throughout the world, throughout the ages, just from eight little notes. How could something so finite give birth, spawn, something so infinite? So the whole universe, this multi-faceted universe, all comes, ultimately boils down to 22 letters. Boils down to eight notes. Dr. Rebbe points out the second part of Tanya, which he referred to earlier in chapter 11 and 12. So it just shows, on one hand, how unified the world is, because it really just comes from just a few handful of sounds, a handful of letters, a handful of notes. And you get this huge symphony, which is infinitely, infinite variety. Which in turn divides into further profusion of combinations to add infinitum. As you stated in Sefer Yitzhak, seven stones build 5,040 houses from their own words, from the sum of the factor of eight and all words. Go ahead and calculate that which the mouth is unable to express. It becomes so huge and so vast that it's just, he it says the, the mouth can't even say it. We could maybe spell out the numbers, but there's so many zeros after it. I don't even know what the word is. It's not trillion, it's beyond trillion. I'm sure there's a word in the English dictionary to, to that number. Every letter is like a, a stone. So the letters, like a stone, that creates a home. Two letters create two words. Like olive base, you can combine it olive base or base olive, av father or ba, go come. Two letters, three letters is three times two. Three times two with three with uh, three letters you can make six combinations, different combinations of the letters. With four letters you can make 24 combinations. With five letters, five times 24. You can make 120 combinations. Six letters, it's, it's six times 120. So it's 720. Then seven times 720. And before you know it, just do the math. By the time you get to 22, it's off the charts. And that's just the letters itself. But then in the Hebrew language, there are many, many different ways of counting the letters. As again, as described at the end of the first chapter, the second part of Tanya, which is online, LessonsInTanya.com, you, in Hebrew language, you can substitute the letters. There are many different ways of substituting. The first letter with the last letter, the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter with the middle letter. It's like a code. It's like you make a code, so this is a code. When I say this letter, I really mean the last letter. When I say this letter, it means... So it's substitutions. And then also I can take different letters from different words and combine those letters of the different words together to form a new word. 
So there's so many possibilities and options of substitutions and putting letters together. And then the numerical value of the letter is almost infinite amount of possibilities. But like he explained in the first chapter in the second part of the Tanya, that when he says Hashem creates the world with the ten utterances, it doesn't mean that Hashem commanded that there should be a world and the world came into being. Like a king gives a command and his helpers, the soldiers, or they go ahead and obey the king and it gets done. He says, build a house and they go build a house. No, it's Hashem's actually words and letters that creates. It's not that Hashem expressed his wish. I wish that there should be a world and God's wish is my command and it happens. No, it's much deeper than that, much more specific. It's Hashem's words and letters that actually create the world. So everything in the world has a specific divine energy. That's why there are as infinite variety of existence, so too there's almost infinite variety of the divine energy. Everything has its own divine energy. That's why everything has a Hebrew name. The Hebrew name is the divine energy as channeled specifically to create and to sustain this unique item with its unique characteristic traits. Everything has a name, from the angels down to the smallest existence, because everything has a unique divine energy. So how is it possible from ten utterances, from ten sentences... For 22 letters, you should get this infinite variety of existence. Every angel is different in every such variety. And everyone has its own divine energy. Because 22 letters, when you multiply and combine and make all these combinations, and especially when you add it, you can substitute, and numerical value, and all different ways of connecting and the letters, you get infinite combinations of letters. And therefore you get infinite variety of different entities that result from the different divine energies that are bringing into existence. Rabbi, what's the, what does the word hechalot mean? Palaces. Like, uh, just like you have a world, and in the world you have homes, and you have people that live in the homes, entities that live in the home, and you have time and space. So too... You have the, uh, every world has the palaces which contain the entities of that world, whether it's angels, souls. So they live in the world. The world is the background, just like we live in this world, but then we build a home to live in. The world contains us, but we live in a home. So that's what he means, the world. And then you have the time and space in that world. You have the entities. And the entities reside in the palaces in the homes in that world. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.